took my baby so far away. Oh, does it see an island? The Beatles will come in. Untitled Beatles Podcast. Welcome to the Untitled Beatles Podcast. I'm Tony Mendoza. And I'm TJ Shanoff. And boy, do we have a show for you today. A show so nice. Let's do it twice. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. I okay. wasn't going to say anything. That just came to mind. I apologize. I love it. it. Well, so yes, full disclosure, this is our second time recording this uh, episode. The first one, the FCC deems so hot. And so full of sex. They said you can't really. <laughs> My microphone yeah. sex voice needs work. They said it was uh, too buttery. Um, so <laughs> no, we had it. We buttery. <laughs> had a, a technical error, and so we have to, uh, we're going to do it again, and so, uh, yeah, that's what this will be. Part Twice. of, you learn in Lady Improv, quote unquote, hashtag got your back, and I have my partner Tony's back, so I won't admit that the technical difficulty was kind of a pretty <laughs> dumb Tony fuck up. I mean, and I got your back, dude, but let's be cool for a minute. I uh, forgot to hit record on my audio the last time we recorded this. Now, hold this. on. Yes. Now, hold on. In your defense, I saw you hit record, but it didn't take. That's well, what happened. I think I had so many screens up, hashtag so many screens. I, um, I didn't. I thought I hit record and didn't. Because I've got my like mixer and keyboard going through GarageBand, and I have Zoom open, and I have QuickTime open. Yeah, man. So, yeah, man. It happened. It happened, and here we are. So like we're g- computers, chicks, and football, three things you can't control. That's my motto. <laughs> Where's the fucking bell? <laughs> TJ Dice Shannon. Oh, ladies oh and, and another thing. <laughs> Smoke him if you... Little boy blue, he needed a blow job. <laughs> it was so terrible. I knew, I knew every... Every oh, were you into that? that? Back, yeah. I remember kids on the bus playing that stuff, or at least reciting it. That's what it was. They were doing his material on the bus. Pretty so. bad. That and Jerky Boys were a bad phase of my life. Oh, and I murdered You're... three people. Oh, good. Well, how'd that go, Sizzle Chest? <laughs> <laughs> it's Chisel Chest. <laughs> Listen to me. I don't break nothing, Sizzle Chest. I'm good. Okay, come Monday. We'll uh, set up an interview. Okay? All right. I'll do that there, Rubberneck. I'll call you Monday. Okay. All right, fruitcake. See you later. Well, we are going to talk about the Star Club tapes uh, that the Beatles recorded in Hamburg, Germany. And that's a misnomer. So the Beatles did not record these. Uh, they were recorded by the owner of the Star Club in uh, December of 1962, their very last residency in Hamburg. And they were taped over a series of nights. I don't know if they have the exact nights, but they know it's the week between Christmas and New Year's.
So let's do a little history here. I'll make this brief. They had six residencies in total in Hamburg. Uh, and I'm going to say Hamburg, okay? So just deal with that. It's um, pronounced hamburguesa. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. That pleases my Cuban roots. <laughs> Cuban um, favorite miniseries. Let's just let's keep rolling. <laughs> Cuban roots. Yeah. How come Cuban roots doesn't get the attention? <laughs> Not many people know that roots was regionalized for, for repeated yeah. airings. Oh, every, every country has it. It's great. <laughs> Go find yours. Scandinavian um, roots was the most boring 20 minutes I've ever seen. Um, so they had six residencies in total. In 1960, they started at the Indra Club from August 17th to October 3rd. Uh, that club closed down, and they moved to the Kaiser Keller from October 4th through November 28th. And then in 61, they were at the Top 10 Club from April 1st to July 1st. And then in 62, they had three residences at the Star Club, April 13th through May 31st, 48 nights, 172 hours, one day off. November 1st through the 14th, 14 nights, 49 hours. And this final one, December 18th through the 31st, 13 nights, 39 hours. They had a back line of Fender amps. John played a Rickenbacker 325. Paul played his Hofner violin bass. And George got his brand new used 1957 Gretsch flat duo jet, which made that was kind of the quintessential Beatles sound for, you know, Beatlemania. And uh, the one thing that was different pre-Beatlemania in this very last, and this is for more historical context, Love Me Do had been re- recorded and released two or three months prior to these Correct. Star Club dates. So they'd already had a deal with Parlophone to release that single. They were about a month away from heading into the studio to record Please Please Me. And in fact, there's a fair amount of songs on this album uh, that are also on Please Please Me. Yes, yes. The album Please Please Me is what you mean. They actually already had the single Please Please Me in the can. Yes, they recorded it in the bathroom. (laughs) Right. For that John Bonham drum sound they were trying to get. (laughs) Dude, I'll tell you, no track's better than John Bonham playing drums on Beware My Love. Remember how that was hyped when Wings at the... I'm I'm kind of being facetious. It's no different than what Joe English or former Bull JoJo English playing drums on that song, whatever iteration of Wings that was. Like, dude, this Wings of the Speed of Sound may be a terrible album, but wait do you hear remastered Cook of the House, and there's a bonus <laughs> track of John Bonham playing drums on Beware My... Like, the hell? Okay, I'll spend $112 on the deluxe set. Fine. I like Cook of the House. But yeah, it, it's fine. It's a terrible. That's my least favorite. Like, wildlife... Oh, that's off yeah. like, my list. I put that on, a, on my Mac-a-mix. Dude, by the way, my wife and I had a conversation about this a couple of days ago when I said Mecca and she thought I was saying MAGA. 
Oh, God. She was like, what do you... Yeah. So you almost can't say Mecca anymore, at least not for a little while. <laughs> no. Here's the thing about that. Real quick. No. You s- continue to say it. You don't let them have it. When something is okay to me, I'm still going to make a sign that says okay, because this means okay. <laughs> All right. This doesn't mean anything else but okay. If you turn it upside down, you're an asshole. Fuck you. But I'm still gonna do. You're totally right. If an okay sign upside down is like a proud boys thing, right? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I thought you said. I thought you said prog boys, and I was like, oh, yeah. It's it's a prog boys thing. That's what yes does, and that's what Emerson Lake and Palmer does. (laughs) (laughs) That's how they play. My, my only problem with yes is that uh, seeing all good people isn't fucking longer. You know, <laughs> like, like producer, like let's can we add two more key chains down? I see it all good, man. I see it all. Yeah, yeah. I, I have very yeah. low patience for that. I remember being in eighth grade and listening to CKG a lot and being like, "Huh, they played this song a lot." <laughs> Dude, you and I were listening to CKG at the same... CKG in that era, like 87, 88, is where I learned who the fuck Thin Lizzy was. Oh, yeah. Roll me over and turn me around. Let me keep spinning till I hit the ground. It's where I learned Aliota Haynes and Jeremiah. Me too. I love that song. Running south on Lakeshore Drive, getting into town, just slipping on my own. Uh, my, some of my first Led Zeppelin was on. Uh, that's where I heard Misty Mountain Hop for the first time. I'll never forget it. Where I was like, "What is this? What's the best rock and roll station in town?" I know. I know you know. Chicago's classic rock, one hundred five point nine FM, WCKG. So yeah, yeah, man. CKG eighty-seven, eighty-eight. But uh, as we talk about kind of rock, so by the late seventies, when this album was finally released, recorded in the winter of 1962. Uh, When this album was finally released, it was 1977. There were legal battles forever. Uh, They tried... uh, Ted King-Size Taylor, who had the tapes, tried to sell it to Brian Epstein. uh, Mm -hmm. And Epstein was like, here's 20 pounds, go fuck yourself. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah, yeah, he offered it to Brian Epstein. So, yeah, he taped them. He knew they were going to be big. Uh, this guy, Ted King Size Taylor, he was in a band called The Dominoes who played with the Beatles. They were like friends. Every time I turn around, there's some new guy filling up my baby's head with all kind of jive. If they ain't leaning on her doorbell, but knocking on their door, telling her she looks just like a movie star. In fact, they had Christmas dinner together that year, and they went to some church, and unbeknownst to, to them, they were fed horse steaks, and they ate horse on Christmas. It's, now, I'm Jewish. I always thought all non-Jews ate horse for Christmas. Like, we like Chinese, <laughs> non-Jews eat horse. The horse is a horse, of course. <laughs> That's a reference nobody gets anymore. That's a sign of age. I'm like, uh, Mr. Ed, who's Mr. Ed? The talking horse. They took that off syndication a long time ago. So Is Mr. Ed racist? 
<laughs> Probably. <laughs> I bet you look back at some episode and, like, you know, you know. Wilbur, you can't let those Jews move in next door. <laughs> what? <laughs> Mr. Reddle. A horse is a horse, a horse, a horse, unless a horse is a racist horse. And then, of course, the name of the horse is the racist Mr. Red. Hey, man, different time. <laughs> so it should be noted that this was not professionally recorded in any way. This was done on a single microphone. I have the notes. Let me get the fucking notes. I'm sorry. It's a 1988 Tozai microphone from Radio Shack. <laughs> Remember Tozai? Tozai? Welcome to Radio Shack. May I take that from you? Yeah. I uh, came in to get my money back. Who do I see? I can help you. I'm sorry you're not happy with the CD player. Yeah, that's right. It's not what I wanted. Can I have my money back? Oh, yeah, you sure can. I just wanted to make sure that there were no problems and that when you do get ready to invest in a CD player that you come back to Radio Shack. Oh, when I'm ready, I'll be back. I like Radio Shack. Okay, here it is. Here it is. Okay, so it was recorded by the Star Club manager, Adrian Barber, or however you say it, using a It's Adrian Barbeau. <laughs> That's what I thought. Uh, a Grundig. So this is like a home tape recorder, like a reel-to-reel machine, and a single microphone placed at basically like the lip of the stage. And so it has this real lo-fi bootleg quality. Sounds a lot like the the Velvet Underground record live at Max's Kansas City. Which is my favorite Velvet Underground record, all about wet rub ribs. (laughs) (laughs) I love, out of all the ribs, Kansas City is my favorite. It is. Uh, But Max's Kansas City was in New York. Right, but it was still an album about about rib eating, right? Rib eating and country loving. Yeah, the album, Lou Reed wrote... (laughs) All the songs are about eating ribs. Yeah. Good evening. We're called the Velvet Underground. You're allowed to dance in case you didn't know. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back. I remember the original pressings came with a paper napkin. <laughs> oh, I wish I'd hung on to my. I wish I had, I used it. I used it to eat ribs one night. What a dummy! I should have hung on to that. Just like my Walter Payton Wheaties box that I had. That we that I we had opened up and eaten, and they were like, oh, let's uh, save it. And then we wrapped it in Saran wrap for like fifteen years. <laughs> I'm like, like, what are we doing? <laughs> so stupid. I to your point, the low fidelity, the bootleg kind of quality. When this thing came out, it barely caused a ripple. It charted, but it didn't quote unquote sell. Right? I mean, people weren't no people weren't buying this in the same numbers they were buying even rock and roll music and love songs and the compilations kind of from around that era. The Hollywood Bowl album, which was an official Capitol album, came out a month later. In 77, and that was a huge seller. But people kept talking about how bad the sound quality was for this. Uh, two things on that, Tony. Hollywood Bowl, at least the original pressing before they cleaned it up a couple years ago, sounded terrible with the screaming fans. To me, that original pressing sounds worse than the original Star Club album. Interesting. And I know what you mean. 
Yeah, it, it totally does. And with punk being so in vogue at the time, where low fidelity was like a thing, what was the complaint about this? In retrospect, this album sounds pretty damn fine. Yeah, it's 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 really cool, and I think you nailed it on the head with the punk thing. Like a, the energy on this record is very punk rock, and the tempos are up there. I mean, it's not like hardcore or whatever, but it's faster than a lot of Sex Pistols songs were in that year. People's ears weren't used to the bootleg quality thing yet, you know, like Guided by Voices, the lo-fi thing in the 90s hadn't happened yet and this and that. So I think our ears are just more used to lower fidelity things. (laughs) And honestly, that's the way it is now, too, even with like (laughs) Zoom calls and... Even like some radio broadcasts you hear, it's this really digital, low-quality sound file you're listening to. I think as a society, we're just tolerating uh, less quality. Well, and first of all, Neil Young's fighting that good fight with his expensive music system nobody understands. Right, right. (laughs) That you can only play his music on. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, do I really want to hear Harvest Moon again? Like, it's fine. Well, I uh, like Neil Young. I like Neil Young. But I, I, I love but yeah. Neil Young. I like Greendale. That's how much I love Neil Young. I like some of the weird uh, later stuff. But I will tell you, I get all my music on LimeWire, which is the sound quality is really good. I just down, I rip torrents on LimeWire. That's how I get all my 90s music, and that's how I get every episode of Night Court. <laughs> You know, John Larroquette did the voiceover for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Did he really? Yeah. He's the first voice you hear in that movie. And now he's eating at a Texas roadhouse. (laughs) At Max's Kansas City. The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Let's talk about the music. So it's a lot of covers, man. They, They do two originals. Uh, ask me why, and I saw her standing there. But uh, the rest, both before they were to be recorded yeah. on um, at the Please Please Me session. Right, right. So I think it's fun. Yeah, the energy's great. Twist and shout is real fun. I love that it's that short version where it's just like chorus, verse, chorus, <laughs> out.
It's like a minute and a half. I mean, it's the definition of punk rock. Uh, and it's a nice blistering pace, lo-fi. I'm not a big twist and shout guy, but uh, I like that. I like this version especially. Well, you once told me your favorite version was the one with the overdubbed horns from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. <laughs> with the marching Fuck band Ferris horns. Bueller. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell you something. This is not easy to say. As a Chicagoan, Chicago native, and someone who grew up with that movie, I used to love that movie so much, and now I think I have zero patience for it. None. I think he sucks. Yeah, he's a he's a bratty asshole. I, I remember liking Cameron. I liked the Cameron character. I identified with him being the... <laughs> Not the rich kid part, but like him staring into the painting. And it's a great scene. That scene with the the great band, the Dream Academy, doing an instrumental version of a uh, a Smith song. I think is that what it is. I I forget. Yeah, I I've think. actually only I seen know. it a handful of times because I never quite. I didn't like the character of Ferris Bueller. I thought. Anyway, I, I, lo- I loved it because I grew up in the city and I felt like it was like a cool city movie when I was 12 and 13. Everyone I went to it. high school with a kid who shook the Pepsi can and said, Say, Ferris? What? Well, um, see, we're collecting money to buy Ferris Bueller a new kidney. They run about 50 G's or so, so if you could help out. Go piss up a flagpole. I'm sorry? That's so that funny. was a big fucking deal. My high school had him and Nancy Reagan. Don't hate me. I'm not a dick. I can be <laughs> if I'm crossed. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there's also a lot of songs on here that, you know, they didn't ever commit to tape. Things like Falling in Love, which is a fun waltz that Paul sings. I also really like the version of Besame Mucho that's on there. The drumming's really hot, and there's some harmonies in here that I, I've nev- I haven't heard on any of this, you know, their audition tapes and stuff. I think that DECA audition, which was at the very beginning of the year, right? Wasn't that January of 62, I think, when they did New Year's Day, I think. Yeah, it was New Year's Day, exactly. And uh, what a testament how great Ringo Starr is comparing that Pete Best kind of drumming on Besame Mucho to what Ringo does on this. That alone is an argument to have let Pete go. I mean, Ringo's drumming, this whole album, Ringo's drumming is hot. It's about yeah. the best drumming he's ever put on record consistently. He's pushing those guys. And Paul is in lot. That rhythm section is so tight and so aggressive. Yeah, man. It's fun. Like, you really hear it on that song, Red Hot, that wonderful song. Mm-hmm. And even, like, something about that song, Red Hot, one of my favorite songs, I think the first version I ever heard was done by Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs. My gal is red hot. Famous for Willie Bully. Oh, he's 104.3, <laughs> riding along a monomobile. 
But I think I heard like an organ in there. So, I, I mean, it's possible. I know Paul was playing a piano back at the Top 10 Club. So maybe someone brought an organ in one night. Maybe one of the other groups had an organ. Who knows? It was 62. So anything was possible. <laughs> Even the, the Vox <laughs> Continental organ. <laughs> There's a few songs, and there's different iterations of the Star Club album. It's been released over and over again. We should talk quickly about the fact that this album cannot be purchased in stores or online. I mean, you go to like a like a reckless or like a used record store. But sure. in 96, right around Anthology, the Beatles took control of these Hamburg tapes for the first time. But in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, Different companies all over the world, uh, Ling Song or Linga Song, which is a division of Atlantic, released it originally, and Pickwick Records. Sony had its hands on it for a while. I've got a CD of it on Sony, a KTEL version. I'm holding in my hand an original Japanese pressing of this that still sounds pretty good from 85. I think it's one of the very first Beatles CDs ever issued. It's predated the core catalog by two years. So this material nice. was in record stores for years and years, for two decades. And then, poof, the Beatles bought it. None of it made its way on the anth- on Anthology 1. No. And you can't, you can't hear this. I mean, you can go to YouTube, but this has not officially been released by the Beatles at any point since they purchased the rights. It's kind of strange that some of their best live work, and they only really have two officially released, is something you can't buy. Yeah, yeah. And that you can't stream it either. So, yeah, the only thing you can do is... Yeah, if you want to hear it, it's on YouTube. Um, and there's a there's a cool YouTube link. I actually just found it on a, a Reverb.com uh, article about all the gear that they used while they were in Hamburg. And they have a link to the full sets. So you actually hear all those gaps between songs. Um, so it's not just like song, song, song. You hear, it's, like, it's like a real local band playing where they take like a minute between each song to like, what are we going to play next? And then, you know, smoke a cigarette and take a bite out of a cheese roll or whatever, <laughs> you know, pop a red pill. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, right. They were known to do prelude in, I think is what they, it's called. It's uh, George Harrison claims it's not an amphetamine, but it was an upper. Thank you, George. I'll see you in Cracker Box Palace. Thank you for your... Uh, <laughs> we've been expecting you. Well, that was the cool thing about hum- Hamburg. And I feel like such an a-hole saying Hamburg. But, well, but anyway. it, it was Escher, and it was Escher right. until it became Escher in 2018. It, right. Call what you want. Well, what's great about them being in Hamburg is that... Uh, they went from basically being an amateur band to being a professional band. They went from being an entertaining band to being artists. This is where they met Klaus Vormann, who later became their friend. He designed the album cover art for, you know, Revolver. He played bass with the Plastic Ono Band. Uh, He did many other things. Played bass on Instant Karma. Yeah, man. 
uh, and has been a lifelong friend. That's also where they met at the time. Of his yours? Girlfriend. <laughs> like, you, yeah, ba- man. you buried the lead, Holmes. <laughs> oh, yeah. You should hear the, the podcast me and Klaus do. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy. Wherever I go, he goes. Klaus Vorman. <laughs> Klaus Vorman, Astrid Kircher. Uh, that was that was uh, the woman who basically gave them their style and introduced them to art, fell in love with Stuart, right? Yeah, and took yeah. took some of the best of the early photos of them. Right. She documented much of their those early 60s years uh, with her photography. That's where the Beatles stepped it up and were thinking in the long game about what they wanted to be. Did they just want to be a combo that made, you know, whatever, a few quid a night, or did they want to be bigger? And you really see it when they had eight hours per night to fill with just music and... You know, they learned how to do mock show, as they were told, I guess, when they mock first... Mock show, mock show. When they first arrived, they weren't that good. They didn't put on much of a show. And the German people, all drunk, were like, mock show, mock show. And so they learned to cut it up, and John wore a toilet seat on his head. And, you know, they they, they worked blue or whatever. Plötzlich stand John auf der Bühne in der Badehose und mit der Klobrille um Hals. The only English he spoke was Max Schaus. I'm going to send you, this is a preview for a podcast we've not discussed. Tony and I like to do all our behind-the-scenes work on the actual show. We, we feel like it's a, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good Easter egg, right? B- BTSOA, behind-the-scenes on the air. BTSOA. Uh, I'm going to send you the movie that first kind of got me after the play Beatlemania. It's a movie that Dick Clark Productions made maybe in 78 or 79, it predated John Lennon's assassination, called Birth of the Beatles, with music, they even say music by Rain, like one of the first Beatles tribute <laughs> bands, which I love, called Rain. And it's it's how I learned about these early years, and you might have seen it, and maybe recessed in the back of your mind, it was on ABC, and then rerun a lot on Channel 7, for those of us from Chicago, I don't think I've ever seen it. I, I dubbed a, a videotape of it I made in 80 or 81. Whoa. On, I, I made a digital file of it. I'll send you. It's not perfect, but this is how I learned so much of that era. And the 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 fights, the fights with fans. They were, the, Hamburg was rough. Hamburg was nasty back then. So they, they really, part of the reason they kind of became artists is they grew up in Hamburg. They grew up in ways they couldn't have done at the cavern or just performing in, in England. One, two, three, four. Well, she was just 17. You know what I mean. It's true, man. And yeah, and what you say about it being rough is for real. I guess every time they played Hully Gully, some kind of fight would break out. Sometimes they were tear gassed. Uh, you know, if fights got out of hand, then the, the authorities would come in and tear gas the room. And then the Beatles joked that they too would end up crying at the end of their set. But like waiters and bartenders would get their knives out if, you know, people didn't pay their bills and... I love this. I uh, I forget where I got this from, but George Harris, I think it's from the anthology book. George Harrison said that these bartenders and stuff carried truncheons, 
cautious and knuckle dusters. <laughs> Gotta love Knuck- the British, man. Knuckle dusters is my favorite sports bar in Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> Come on down to knuckle dusters. It's ladies in tank top night, maybe getting in a fight. <laughs> yeah. Mud wrestling, dwarf tossing, all that stuff. You can find it at Knuckle Dusters. You know what they say there? It's 1984 at Knuckle Dusters. <laughs> or well that ends well at Knuckle Dusters. <laughs> yeah. Come to kn- come for the fun. Stay for the horse fajitas. Knuckle Dusters. <laughs> Hashtag horse fajitas. <laughs> oh, Wilbur. Can't we have American food? I think we just did a Herald, man. <laughs> we totally did a Herald. The Didn't most entertaining Herald I've ever been a part of, by the way, in my whole life. All due respect to people of Earth and other Herald teams, the Pache dancers. <laughs> yeah, man. Blue Deep Schwa. Right, other Herald names I can't Call remember. The passions. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, this, uh, they really got tough. The town made them tough. The performing made them tough. And let's get into some of our favorite songs from this. You mentioned Holly Gully. Holly Gully appears on some releases of this material, but it's not actually the Beatles singing it. It's not Cliff Richard, but it's it's a Cliff. It's Cliff something. Oh, from Cheers. Yeah, yeah everyone Clavin. Women fighting is very unladylike. Unless, of course, they're wallowing around in mud pits. <laughs> but so, Holly Gully, not the Beatles. If you, there are versions floating around with that song, and you can tell it's not them. I think it was like a saxophone, not the same Elephant's Memory saxophone, so it won't drive you crazy. <laughs> no, or delight you to, to the nth degree. I've, I've all, I will say again, the saxophone is the most offensive part of Woman is the Hmm of the World. It's not the title. It's the mix of the saxophone. But yeah, so uh, the other two songs not performed by the Beatles were performed by the restaurants or by by the club's uh, owner and one of the waiters who were brothers. Yes. The Fasher brothers. Yes, man. Yeah. Hallelujah. I love her so. Was done by Horst Fasher, who I believe that was the waiter. No, owner. He was the owner. sings Bebopalula, and that's Fred Fosher. There's a part of that song I think we both absolutely love where all of a sudden the song stops being in a in a tempo. It's like yeah. it, it's in like it's in like six five. Yeah, he adds an <laughs> he adds an extra like bar to the first line of his song. So instead of coming in on the one, he comes in on like what would then be the two. You know, so instead of like 
one, two, three, four, a bebop. He's like, one, two, three, four, a one, a bebop. Well, she's the girl in the red, blue, not quite singing English. It's all shifted over one, (laughs) you know. So it's and so the bands, you know, that's one for the band. Like Ringo has to remember, like, oh right, when this guy sings it, I add an extra beat just on this first part. You know, like a Dave Brubeck thing. It, it, totally, it's 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 Brubeck. That song is both John and Paul covered that song on their oldies albums. That's one of those that has a big influence. I wish we had one of them singing it versus Horst Fascher. <laughs> I'm too great if you do uh, twist and shout. Give me, give me a couple of your favorites. I'll give you a couple of mine. Well, I love the version of Long Tall Sally. That one is fast, man. That one is true punk rock. 1962 punk rock. It rips. It soars. <laughs> It's cool. It's a barn burner. Bring it on. Yeah, work. that's a great one. I mean, you can hear the I'm down influence that was coming with his delivery of that. Rollover Beethoven's another one that I way prefer to the studio recording on with the Beatles. This one just just pumps. I totally agree.
Now, do you feel that John is represented enough on, on this? I feel like I hear mostly Paul, and I almost feel like I hear George more than I hear John. That's which is almost like the Decca tapes from earlier that year, right? Yeah. There's a lot of George on that. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, you know, I'm not. I think John was happy just being the leader of the band, right? Yeah, I guess. Plus, Paul was always kind of showboating, and I think part of what made them work is John was super cool with Paul to showboat early on. Yeah, yeah. I know John sings Sweet Little 16 and uh, a couple others I know. Oh, yeah, like Matchbox, you get to hear. I think that's George. I think George is the one singing Matchbox. Let's hear that, or that could be John talking out of the side of his mouth. <laughs> Yeah, I always heard that as John. Did you? Uh, okay. John's John's doing the lead, even though it's all the harmonies. John's got the lead on "Lend Me Your Comb." He's got "Sweet Little 16. Paul doing "Hippie Hippie Shakes," another great one that was only officially released, I think, when the BBC album came out. Yeah, yeah. But Paul doing that is amazing. Here's a John one. The version of Mr. Moonlight on here, Sans, uh, hashtag Horatio Sans organ, uh, is so cool. Part of the reason people give so much shade to Mr. Moonlight, I know you're not among them, is Thank the you. kind of treak, the treakly organ solo. Here, it's a guitar solo, so it's it's a different take on it. One of my, I think my favorite one on the whole record, though, has to be Shimmy Like My Sister Kate. It's a great, uh, it's, it's a, talk about punk. Yeah, that one is just so fun. And seriously, if you, if you, if you hear 30 seconds of it, you've heard the whole thing, but they do it. I could listen to them do that for hours. It's just this progression that repeats and repeats and it gets more exciting with each one. That's one I wish they had recorded in the studio. Um, I would have taken that over like Honey Don't or even things like Please Mr. Postman. Like, yeah, that's a good song, I suppose. But I don't know. There's something that's just so ex much more exciting about Shake It Like My Sister Kate.
ever did that for BBC. I know I don't think it was released if they did on parts one or two, but I wonder if there's any other documented recording of that. Uh, two of my it. favorites that I think you like as well, uh, the Fat Swaller cover, Your Feet's Too Big, which yeah. is just kind of a cool, cool blues tune, kind of like a novelty blues tune that you can tell they're just having a ball doing. And where have you been all my life? I love that one. Which is which is an Arthur Alexander song, and they covered him with Anna Go to Him. Yes. Um, so they and uh, so they done a couple and of Soldier Arthur of Alex- Love, right? And Soldier of Love, yeah. yeah, a couple other Arthur Alexander songs. Yeah, man. But that that one and that's got probably the worst audio on the record. You can hear the tape kind of just being started, but it doesn't diminish how fun it is. So those are two great ones. Capital Apple EMI Universal has been sitting on this material, especially with technology now. So at 2022, maybe it'll be the 60th anniversary of the Star Club. I mean, what are they waiting for? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I bet someone somewhere will release it if there's a 2022. (laughs) If yeah, (laughs) we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Verdict's still out on that one. I will say I noticed that there's a song called Reminiscing, but I was disappointed that it wasn't the Little River Band version. <laughs> well, okay. I'm going to, first of all, two things for you. First up is, oh, we don't be late. <laughs> I said to God bless those three tight-jeaned Australians. <laughs> My Herald team. Uh, Dude, I, I thought he was in a band. I didn't know this was going to be like an improv show. Yeah, two things. Trivia for you. One, the Beatles never covered the Little River Band. And two, <laughs> this drumming on Star Club is not Ringo. Uh, Bernard Prudy overdubbed all the drumming on this. Yeah, he made it sound like shit. <laughs> yeah. He recorded it in that Bonham bathroom, uh, <laughs> but with the door closed, and that's why it sounds like that. Um. <laughs> we used to watch Bonham's bathroom after Pee Wee's Playhouse every Saturday. <laughs> And Pryor's Place, the Richard Pryor kids show. Yeah, after Remember I did that mess? Pic- picture pages with Bill Cosby. <laughs> now you got your picture pages. <laughs> this is why our generation's so fucking stupid, Tony. Picture pages, picture pages, time to get your picture pages, time to get your crayons and your pencils. Picture pages, picture pages, open up your picture pages, time to watch Bill Cosby do a picture page with you. 
So yeah, I mean, there's there, there's a ton of even some of the covers they later do a taste of honey till there is you, which are again treacly Paul things have more life, energy, and street cred on this album than they do in their far cleaner studio versions. I am with you wholeheartedly. Another one they used to cover. It's not on. It's not on this, but they used to cover somewhere over the rainbow, not knowing that it was in the Wizard of Oz. They were doing like the Gene Vincent version of it. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's crazy. I just thought it was crazy that uh, Wizard of Oz didn't make it over to Liverpool, or I don't know what. Just yeah. the black and white part. After the war, they didn't have color <laughs> projectors, so it ended with a tornado, and then they rolled the credits. Yeah, it's kind of a yeah, it, it's kind of a French short film that way. The the Beatles were huge fans of that Hawaiian guy who used to sing "Summer of the Rainbow," who's only photographed in a pool. You know what I'm talking about? There's there's a Hawaiian gentleman. Is this like a guy in the Guinness Book of World Records or something? Those the guys on the motorcycles or something? I don't know what's that. There's a Hawaiian singer uh, who always sings "Summer Over the Rainbow." With a ukulele. Don Ho? And it, uh, not Don Ho. <laughs> Don Ho. Uh, my generation's Don Ho. Um, Hondo. Hondo. And, but he's always photographed in a pool, and now he's dead. <laughs> oh, Brian Jones. That's how he went. You got to be After careful. After playing on You Know My Name, look up the number. Yeah, he plays so any other favorites, right? I'm looking at the sleeve notes here that says also available on 8-track cartridges and cassettes, which is so emblematic of its era. But yeah. I think we we both agree this is a great live album. I will listen to this. This is another one. The beauty doing the show with you, I think we say this every week, is revisiting things that we haven't, in some cases, haven't heard ever or in other cases haven't heard in years. Like... I bought these albums in the 80s in re- in real time. I would always listen, sometimes a couple times, but then they just kind of sit there. But in retrospect, what a gorgeous part of the Beatles history that more people who love the Beatles really should know. Yeah. No, honestly, before we did this podcast, I don't think I actually sat down and listened all the way through. This is a record I never bought. And I don't know why. I think I think I did. I just kind of dismissed it as like a bunch of covers that I I prefer to hear original Beatles songs, as you may know. And and, you know, when I was shopping in record stores, I had a limited amount of money. So it probably went to like I wanted to hear whatever, something else. Um, you were saving up for Duran Duran, Seven and the Ragged Tiger. <laughs> no, I wasn't a. And I wasn't a Duran Duran guy. I would have been. Sa- Here's what I would have been saving up for: like sound effects records for my my homemade David Letterman shows and shit like that. <laughs> for real. Talk about weird. Or like, oh, does Paul Sh- like Paul Schaefer's Coast to Coast album? <laughs> which, yeah, which that was one? that's. That's a cocaine album. He got a single out of that. When the it's radio is on. When right? the radio is on. When the radio is on. That's kind of like a Bobby McFerrin. I wake up in the morning. First sound that I hear is that clock radio singing in my ear. I make it to the bathroom. He performed it live on the Letterman show when it came out. I think it was 89. And uh, he wanted to get Carol King to sing backup vocals, but she couldn't make it. So he got Carol Kane from Taxi. <laughs> <laughs> and she was sitting between the two other backup singers <laughs> singing. She sang on it. <laughs> and, 
Good shit. What was what was Dave's album collection bit? That was oh, my favorite Dave's re- bit. Dave's record collection. Dave's it's record wider collection. than a mile. Dave's record collection. It's wider than a mile. <laughs> That's the How point. About that? What is the point? We've done too many shows. That's it, isn't <laughs> no. it? We've just we've come to our last show. Tonight is our last <laughs> show, ladies and gentlemen. Honestly, that's still how I go record shopping. When I go to a record shop now, I, I go to the novelty records or the, the offbeat, the weirdo records, and you can still find some great stuff that's not streaming. You can't get it on CD, you know, those great records. Yeah, I, when I go to a record store, I'm the schmuck who's, re- ooh, I can, I can rebuy Walls and Bridges. It's the green budget label I don't <laughs> own for six ninety nine. That's what yeah. When I explain to my son I can't afford to send him to college, he'll be like, well, you've got the Mind Games budget issue. <laughs> <laughs> so enjoy it. Yeah. Maybe you could. But yeah, yeah. so this. <laughs> go ahead. I interrupted you. I interrupted you. No, I had you. a bit, but it, it was sour. <laughs> so, sour bits of the hallmark of the show. Uh oh, it's the sour grapes bunch. So yeah, it's it's a great album. I mean, you know, if you can pick it up, I'm sure it's available used about everywhere. But until Capital EMI, you know, Universal, not on the core albums, but if you buy the red and the blue album on vinyl, you will see where the Apple used to be, the Universal logo, which is very strange. Yeah, the whole thing just feels because Universal owns EMI now because there's three companies. Yeah, all that stuff is just bonkers to me. I'm, I think I'm more of the of like, hey, I just want to hear this song. You know what I mean? Like, what's it sound like? And I think I, I think I, I like the trivia and the minutia, but when it gets into the business stuff, I, I can't keep up with it. Yeah, I think I started collecting so young that my experience listening as an only child with headphones on to the stuff at six, seven, eight years old was staring at all the details of the covers. The yeah. the SW yeah. you know catalog numbers and <laughs> the, the I mean catalog numbers is deep. Were you also looking at like what the mastering engineer carved into the runout was carved and stuff? in the yeah do, uh, totally in, in, in the runout groove yeah and the, the different wow. labels why some purple cat the purple capital labels in the seventies the capital logo is massive when they went back to the purple capital label in the late eighties they shrunk it. MFD by Capital became manufactured by Capital. Like this stuff, I, I, oh, that's to, wild. To this yeah, day, man. I can't solve one algebra problem, but I can tell you about the C1 catalog editions of the Beatles vinyl, you know, in the, I love it. the late 80s. I love but, it. but this is one that never saw that. It's been owned by Capital and never released by EMI or the Beatles officially. It's worth checking out. It's it's as close to punk Beatles as you're going to get. It's before Brian Epstein and George Martin really shaped them to be the biggest band in the history of the world. Yeah, man. Pick it up. It's on Discogs and streaming on YouTube. Uh, enjoy it. It's fun, man. It's Little Beatles. Little... <laughs> Oh my God! Hi, little Beatles. Oh my God, you guys, that. you're so old. Tony, look, it's a little Beatles. Oh my God, Ringo. You know that's a fetish. You know, like if you go to BeetleCon 2020, there's 
<laughs> you know, there's furry people that are into like the miniatures of the Beatles and they're all in a hotel room <laughs> jacking each other off. <laughs> I, that happens at Beatle Fest as well under the stairs at three in the morning when they're in that circle singing. <laughs> what kind of underwear did John wear on Revolver? <laughs> yeah, Beatle Sniffers, we call them. <laughs> Be- Be- beetle Sniffers. Are you a Beatle fan? I'm not just a Beatle fan, I'm a Beatle Sniffer. Yeah. Are you cool, man? <laughs> well, that was great, Tony. Next week, we got a lot more to come. We're going to take a look at Ringo Starr's Bad Boy album. We'll go track by track. We might just have time for one track, but you love the cover of Baby, Baby, Where Did Our Love Go? The disco Ringo cover. I got the 12-inch. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's, that's Ringo's improvised lyric during the fade out. <laughs> if only he'd been instructed by Dell. Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. Beatles, never heard of them. They must be from Germany then. Why? Because it says they're from Hamburg, stupid. You're stupid.